Hello, and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 148. This cast, as always, is sponsored by CoolStuffInc.com. With free shipping on orders of $100 or more and a sweet 25% bios bonus, CoolStuffInc.com is a store for all of your Magic the Gathering needs. Now, you might be wondering, hey, why didn't you guys record on a Monday like normal? And then why didn't you guys record Wednesday night like normal? Well... None of our schedules worked this week, so it is uh, 2 o'clock Central Time on a Wednesday afternoon before the 4th of July. Jim couldn't make it because his schedule is a little crazy this week. We all have scheduling things, as is the nature of this business. However, you get the dreaded duo cast of Ed and I this week. And how are you doing this week, Ed? Uh, I have no event this week. I'm actually at home for 10 days in a row. Nine yeah. days in a row. This I think this might be actually be the first time this year, so it feels okay. I guess I'm a little lost at what to do with all this time. So, are you already tired of being home? Uh, so far not yet. I actually have plenty of things to do. I'm just a lot of things I've put off, like a lot of remodeling projects around the house and whatnot. That I'm not super keen on getting done. So a lot of things have just getting pushed back until I feel like doing them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um. So, we don't have any shows for two weeks. We have the M20 pre-release this weekend, and then we have the release of it next weekend. Um, we're already starting to see Modern Horizon 1 singles make their way onto TCG Player, eBay, Facebook, etc. As all the vendors that have been stockpiling this stuff or buying this stuff finally have enough time to actually list all the stuff that they've bought, rather than just carrying it between shows. Um, do you think with people putting all this inventory back on the market, prices are going to stay down for Modern Horizons? Or do you think that players want these cards and they're going to keep buying them? Because we have like a, we have two directions we can go here. Players keep wanting to buy like Prismatic Vista for Legacy, Modern, EDH, whatever. Or they're already focused on M20 and they're done spending money on Modern Horizons. So where do you think we're going with prices for modern horizon singles um i think modern horizon singles are probably starting to stabilize i think the first weekend that it was uh the first weekend that modern horizons was released in dc people really weren't sure what it would look like yet that was the first real injection of singles into the format a lot of cards that weren't on people's radar people started to take notice too so we saw uh, Giver of Runes, that's the uh, the modern version of Mother Runes, go from, it was pre-selling basically for 2 to $3. And then immediately after that, people realized that, hey, this card is actually still quite busted, even though it's supposedly fixed. And now it's $7-ish, $7 to $8. It may have come down a little bit this week. We've seen some prices kind of cool off. Um, Seattle was basically where prices peaked uh that was the second and last week of modern horizons uh limited gps that was probably the last major injection of cards um going in uh we saw a lot of prices peak and prices have certainly cooled off since then uh red and six was was pushing like 60 dollars. now it's gone down a little bit it's uh low 50s probably you can find some even below 50 if you look um Force Negation has basically stayed stable. Um, Prismatic Vista has certainly gone up a little bit in price, not by much, considering it's only a rare. Um, 
these are all things that um, there probably isn't going to be much more entering the market or not entering the market at the same speed as people are wanting to buy them up. Uh, now that we've seen some of these cards actually play out, it's very clear that a lot of the cards that people had previously underestimated because they hadn't found a home for them yet are actually probably going to change modern in some capacity. So I think going forward, especially with M20 dropping this weekend with the pre-release, uh, unless unless you're uh, queued for the Mythic Championship in Barcelona at the end of July, I would argue that Modern Horizons is probably past the point where most people are actively thinking about it, other than, hey, I need one more Prismatic Vista for my EDH deck or something. Yeah, and we're starting to see um, sort of a wave, I guess you could say, like, you're obviously familiar with your line of work that Ren of Six is a uh, buy listing for 7,000 yen minimum overseas. Um, do you think that arbitrage is going to hold or do you expect that price to go down with all the copies finally making their way back to Japan? Uh, so this is obviously uh, I assume inspired by the Reddit posts that went up on the MTG Finance subreddit. And also, full disclosure, I'm going to Japan next week for vacation. You know, the problem with going to Japan for vacation is, as you know, all the shops are next to a lot of tourist stuff, especially in like Kyoto, Osaka, etc. Um, so like hanging out with people turns into let me just pop into the shop real fast. Like that becomes a real problem. And if you haven't been to Japan, listeners, uh, former co-host Travis Allen wrote a very good article about this three years ago. And Ed was just on a podcast um, the Tokyo Hobbyist podcast, I believe, with Ryan Schwenk um, talking about this, if people haven't listened yet. But do you think that uh, Japanese vendors are going to reduce their stock, or um, sorry, reduce their buy price on a lot of these high-end cards? Or do you see Japan basically swallowing it up like uh, what happens with a lot of other competitive staples? Uh, so again, it's important to note that uh, that specific buy list, the one that posted uh, the buy list for Ren 6 for 7,000 yen, uh, that is very, very specifically a Japanese copy, not an English copy. Uh, people, uh, English copies are worth a little bit less. There is much a much higher supply of English copies compared to Japanese copies. That's why the buy list is a little bit inflated. Um, for English Ren 6s, I think we saw them peak this weekend, probably around $48 at uh where was I this past weekend dallas dallas was where it had basically topped out and i don't foresee um english singles going uh english modern horizon singles going for anywhere that much in japan um yep that's a, a good thing to keep in mind have you noticed with prismatic vista vista however you want to pronounce it my missouri accent does not I cannot enunciate three syllable words. I have not learned how to read yet, unfortunately. But have you seen like Prismatic Vista and all that stuff? Um, we saw Bylas at Dallas. They were like 90% of TCG low, presumably to arbitrage. But some of the Bylas were vendors that were not arbitraging as far as I was aware. Like specifically with that card, do you think that that hits 30, 35 bucks at the end of the year? just because of how ubiquitous it is across all the formats? I think um, I think that card is pretty accurately priced for a rare where it should be. I don't 
it wouldn't surprise me if it went up in price. It's clearly very good. I think anyone who equated it as a uh, rare evolving wilds is probably not looking at the card in the correct way. Uh, it needs to be more of a uh, better fetch land in the formats where the basic is more important. So um, I think, for example, Legacy and Miracles, Prismatic Vista is just the perfect uh, land because most of the time you're trying to fetch out your islands and your planes. Uh, you're never actually wanting to get that first Tundra or that first Volcanic unless you actually have that red spell or you're pinched on colored mana. Um, so I, I do think Prismatic is very, very good. Um, it's one of those cards that is basically an evergreen staple. Um, again, the fact that you said it goes into basically every format just just makes it very, very, very powerful. And it's the type of card where I think the demand will basically just always outpace the supply on that card. Um, there may be a point when EDH players start to get priced out. Um, because again, despite what I said previously, at the end of the day, it is ultimately just a rare version of Evolving Wilds that is much better when it's relevant. But if you gave an EDH player the choice between uh, buying four or five cards for their deck or spending $30 on this land, you might get people who are more inclined to get a slightly wider range of cards in exchange for this one card that is a marginal gain for their deck. Right, and like anecdotally, I have a legacy 10k coming up in three weeks. So the amount of legacy players that want this card and commander players that want this card, there's a lot of overlap between like the player bases. So it's hard to keep this card in stock specifically. Another one I've noticed from both legacy and EDH players is Foil Modern Horizons Goblin Matron. It was like five bucks. Every single player that comes in that wants one, they're like, it's no longer $200. Charge me whatever. I want this card. So that's like another interesting one where that may also go up just because you have multi-format appeal between edh players that play cranko or whatever and they're like this i've needed this forever i didn't want to buy the seventh edition foil one and then you also have legacy goblins players who you know they may be going for the new version of foiling their deck and getting like m25 foil ports which we also can't keep in stock versus um mercadian mask ports so um, it is nice to see them print something where the cards are very well priced and, you know, we can all make a lot of money off this. But at the same time, like, at least locally, because, you know, I live in Missouri, the average GDP is not that high. A lot of players don't have that much money left. Like, after all these products, the, a lot of them I know are just skipping out on M20 pre-release where they normally would play because they need to buy the singles and they can't afford to both buy the singles and play in pre-release. Um, because, you know, they bought Modern Horizons and then they bought Gideon's Spellbook and now we have new singles coming out and Commander drops next month. Um, so for less franchise players or players that may not necessarily have high income, it's very hard for them to afford all of this. Um, the, in other yeah, the other interesting thing I've sort of noticed is um, we're not seeing a scale back yet, though we may see this as more and more vendors list cards on prices. Um, around this time last year was Vegas, if I remember correctly. Uh, and we saw a massive fall off in prices following GP Vegas for basically every format. If you remember M2G deals was paying $700 on an underground C and that, you know, may not have turned out in their best interest. 
Um, but we haven't started to see that yet. Are, do you think, and I know you've mentioned this on the podcast before, with the Mythic Championship qualifiers coming up in Barcelona, do you think modern prices are going to remain sort of stagnant through like September? Or do you expect a little bit of a pushback over the next couple months? Uh, I think there's a few parts to that. Um, uh, at this time last year, this was, I, th- I want to say, probably the week after or two weeks after Las Vegas. I do remember Vegas being towards the end of last year. I just don't remember exactly which weekend it was. Um, uh, Vegas is always a good time to buy cards afterwards because people, Vegas is, it, it's, it's certainly the pinnacle of uh, magic events, as it were. It's the time when, uh, it, it's a time when magic players are always inclined to come out in droves, if not just there for vacation. They, a lot, I know there's a fair amount of people who turn Vegas into basically a mini magic vacation, it's a good tourist location. Obviously, there's magic involved. Um, you know, people can usually people do all the associated Vegas things. You know, gambling, partying, etc. Um, and because there's just so many people there, there's so many magic cards in that room. Um, and this year, Vegas will also be Modern Horizons Limited for one of the two GPs. Uh, it's a split a split GP there. Uh, afterwards is always a time, like you had mentioned. There's just a massive dump on cards. Um, because Vegas is put off a little bit this year, I don't see cards falling quite as fast. Um, it's hard to understate the amount of cards in that room and how many cards get put online after the GP. Um, just the sheer volume of the number of vendors there, the, uh, the vendors that who show up there that would normally not show up there. For example, Star City has had booths at past GPs that um, or at Vegas in the past, and if you look at the history for uh, Star City this year, the, basically the only events they've been to are Washington, D.C., which is basically in their backyard, and Cleveland, because they didn't have another event this weekend. I think they were also in Niagara. Um, but Star City doesn't really go to a lot of GPs, and it certainly says something when Star City is willing to travel basically across the country for them to attend a Grand Prix. Which is something um, they don't even do anymore for their own events, where they essentially have a monopoly on all the buys. Right. Um, because Vegas is getting put off this year, I don't think we'll see kind of the huge drop in prices as a result of all these vendors just flooding the market. Um, they, I, I think the schedule has shifted kind of in such a way where it's a little bit more advantageous uh, to the vendors because they're not forced to be buying large quantities of cards that they can't necessarily sell because let's be real, now that we're in the second or third week of summer, there's a lot of people on vacation. Um, anyone who was at the airport like in the past week or so. It uh, is the worst. It, it is absolutely the worst. We have, you know, families of like, you know, 2,500 people. They're just trying to like go through security all at once. Um, it gets very curmudgeon when there's people in the lounge and he can't get his free <laughs> upgrades. Um, right. Uh so, like, realistically, you know, if these people are looking to go on vacation, there's probably certainly a decent percentage of people who would be spending their money buying magic cards that are otherwise lost to summer activities, such as going on vacation, being outside, um, doing just generally doing activities that would otherwise drive revenue to the game stores. There's also two other things I've noted as Ed answers this very important phone call from Star City. Um a lot of people that like bought gifts with PayPal's credit system uh, six months later. So they have to pay this month. And surprisingly, a lot of people do that because for people who may not have the best credit score, 
PayPal credit offers no interest for the first six months and you can pay like, like don't quote me on this, but I think it's like 2% a month for five months. And then the remainder is due before interest starts accruing in the six month. Um, the other thing I've noticed just, you know, selling cards in a college town is that a lot of players that bought cards during the semester now have to like make it through the summer before their next um, like scholarship kicks in. So they're selling a lot of decks to just like fun being able to pay rent. Obviously this is all anecdotal again, but it um, like, for example, I'm not going to name the customer. A customer got grant money, which covered his tuition. So he bought into legacy. Um, he doesn't get that grant money during the summer. So he's selling his legacy cards at pretty much the worst time uh, besides the winter in order to be able to pay his rent for the next two to three months. Um, and even in the last two weeks, I've had like four to five customers come in doing this. Um, so for people that may not have managed their credit or their bills that well, I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that lately. And, you know, this sort of segues into the, um, the economy as a whole. We're starting to see that yield curve inversion, if Ed's looked at that at all, that, uh, you know, there may be a recession coming. And I feel like I've been in doomsday mode for the last year. But I cannot, like, say this enough. If you have credit card bills and, like, you own a giant magic collection, you should at least work on, like, selling some cards while cards are at their all-time highs to pay off that credit amount. Because, you know, Magic is a global game and it did well in the last recession, but there's no guarantee your cards will hold value in the next recession, depending on how bad it is. And obviously, Ed may have a different take on it, but I don't know. I, I was sort of raised, like, not to have debt. So for me, it's a big deal. Uh, having financial freedom is something that it's hard to actually put a price on. Um I think your advice is certainly sound. We're certainly not financial advisors, but it's important to... Yeah, that is important to know. We are not financial advisors, nor fiduciaries. Uh, in my mind, I would at least want to be in a position where my bills are properly managed and my debt is under control. You certainly don't want to be in a position where you're spending more of your credit card and only being able to make minimum payments because you're just never going to be able to pay off your... Um, your credit card bill, and in the long run, it's just going to be losing you, you more money than, in theory, whatever gains you can make from Magic. Yeah, and there's all these new things coming into effect, too, that I feel we should at least touch on. Um, eBay is adding sales tax to 12 new states, I think, starting in July or August. Um, Missouri is very lenient on this, so I expect to be one of the last states. Um, we are the only state where driving and texting is still legal. So, yeah. Uh, I don't expect to pay um, online taxes while I'm texting Ed on my tractor on my dirt road. So, we'll see. Um, but, Ed, do you think that... Actually, I'll go first because people say I never talk enough on this cast. So, clearly, I should talk more. I know the listeners would love that. Um if we see a transition where a lot of sellers now have to pay state sales tax, I know Card Kingdom specifically, and this has like been a thread in the last week, for international buyers, which Card Kingdom did a ton of business with, whether with Australia, where we talked about that with our guests two weeks ago, Canada, et cetera. Um, Card Kingdom is now saying that they will be writing the full customs amount 
So you can't write into Card Kingdom and say, hey, can you please make declare this as $50? Card Kingdom is now officially like declaring the um, full value of the package. So people have to pay customs on that. And now stateside, people may have to pay sales tax if they live within one of these 12 states. So personally, though Ed may feel something different about this, I think people are going to switch more to social media to sell as a, or like the sick deals group where they don't have to pay taxes and people can get cards for cheaper because magic players are very value focused and 10% for a lot of them is a big deal. So we'll see. What do you think, Ed? Um, I'm as, as someone who's worked as a retailer, I'm fairly sympathetic of this. I understand why, uh, businesses are basically forced to do it. Right. Um, this the whole sales online sales tax laws like colloquially referred to as like the uh, the Amazon tax, right? Like we've talked about this before. Um, Amazon is basically uh, strangleholding brick and mortar stores in such a way that is probably very toxic to a lot of the how the, a lot of these operate. Um, I've certainly uh, been a part of this before. I know that there are times when rather than you know, drive three minutes to the closest convenience store or Walmart or Target or wherever. Um, I would just place an item on Amazon. Prime actually now delivers in one day. Must and, be nice living in Portland. And um, and if I can afford to put off whatever I need for a day, I previously was able to save on both sales tax, which actually doesn't apply because Oregon doesn't have sales tax. Uh, I was previously able to, uh, when I was living in New York, for example, uh, I was able to save on both sales tax and basically the time of having to go out and commute among normal people. Um, and as a result, I think a lot of stores were suffering as um, because of this, and that's basically what pushed them to do this. Uh, for anyone who lived in New York, they already experienced this. If you order from TCG Player Direct or any store that's based in New York, you were charged sales tax for a long time. Um, I th- same with Georgia because TCG player has a tech office there. And now that it's basically being applied to everyone across the board, this is not just... the great state of Missouri. Okay. Uh, except states that matter. Um, <laughs> um, I think this is just putting everyone on level playing ground. Uh, to be perfectly honest, this is something that should have been implemented for a long time. Magic is just happens to be one of those things that, is exploring this loophole, especially with the customs things with Card Kingdom. Uh, PWCC has, from what I heard uh, from overseas buyers, they've started to declare uh, the full amount on the card as well. That was something that they had previously skirted. Um, allegedly. Not, allegedly. 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 Yes, allegedly. Allegedly. Capital A here. Um, uh, this is basically just putting all the businesses more or less on a level playing ground. Um, and I think this is a net positive for retailers. It's worse for uh, for customers, obviously, because now you're paying an extra six to nine point two five percent, depending on where you live. Um, but that's one that puts most of the retailers on a more fair playing field. And now, realistically, it gives you more of incentives to just go down to your local game store and support them as opposed to just going on TCG player mindlessly and buying whatever comes up. Um, which obviously there's a convenience fee that we can't, we can't disregard because you know, I'm sure magic players are so lazy. 
They're, so lazy. They apparently there's something appealing about you know ordering match cards at 11 p.m. or whatever. I seem to get a lot of orders between 11 p.m. and like 3 a.m. I don't know why, but that just seems to be the reality reality of things. Um, so I, I again, I think this is a net positive for retailers. It does suck that everyone has to basically pay more across the board, but this is something that should have been implemented from the very beginning. Um, as opposed to now it's just starting to catch on and people are getting upset over it. I would like to announce formally that I'm starting Missourizon, which is a direct competitor to Amazon. No sales taxes or something. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of changes across the board. There is a fascinating Planet Money interview as well with the owner of Wizards Tower up in Canada about how tariffs affected their business. And how it essentially costs them 10% more to get in cards, which um, completely neutered their business, essentially. A lot of these businesses run on super thin margins. And Wizards Tower was a mainstay of the GP scene, I would say, in 2017 and 2018. Um, and there was an interesting point where they they went back to the, to the owner um, and they're like, all right, the tariffs are over. Are you okay? And his reasoning was no, because we still had to pay a ton of money to import all these cards that we haven't sold yet, which means we still have to pass the cost, the cost of all these tariffs onto our customers. Um, so he was thinking that like their prices wouldn't be back to normal for another three to four months. It was a really fascinating interview about how all these changes are affecting international buyers because the Canadian dollar is not necessarily that strong in the first place right now. Um, so there's a lot of stuff going on between tariffs, taxes, and TCG that uh, buyers and sellers have to watch out for, which is a perfect segue into our question of the week. Ed, would you like to explain our question of the week and who won? Uh, I have no idea who won because you didn't put the name. You literally just copy and pasted the question. Ah, uh, yes. For the first time in cartel history, I've picked the question this week. Normally, it's been Jim every time, but uh, this week it was me. So if you ask this question, email cartelrisocrats at gmail.com, and Jim will eventually give you your credit. But who asked, who won this weekend? I, I still don't know who won. <laughs> <laughs> you literally only copy and pasted the question. There's no name here. I will His name's right there. I will read the question. You literally just have to tell. You literally have to tell me who won. The name of the person who won. <laughs> this is the part where you talk. Like I. Oh, I don't know. I'm not pulling up cool stuff. But uh, go ahead and read the question. All right. So to whoever submitted this question, thank you. We will eventually acknowledge your name on this um, when Jeremy decides to pull up cool stuff. Uh, the question is. How do you guys feel about TCG Direct? My store used it for a couple months and stopped. We're making the same amount of money, if not more, by staying off of it without moving through as much inventory. Um, do you want me to start this, Jeremy, or do you want do you want to take this? So this was asked by Alex Ortlieb, which is a very easy name to pronounce. I don't know why Jim messes it up every week. So congrats on winning, Alex. Um, I've never personally used TCG Direct. There are a lot of Twitter vendors who um, are doing very well with Direct. For example, um, Bass Game Bazaar, like that's, she's one of the bigger TCG people on Twitter that uses the Direct website. I personally don't like it because the fees are way higher. And if you're not selling certain amounts of cards, 
Um, it's not profitable depending on like the price range of cards that you're selling. On top of that, uh, TCG grading can be notoriously strict sometimes. So if you grade it one way, you can get downgraded on another card that may not have... It's sort of like actually selling to Card Kingdom um, with some people's anecdotal experience lately where they think their cards are near mint and then allegedly 30% of them get downgraded or something. Um, so it's just something to keep in mind. But for me personally, it's not worth the amount of effort to sell through TCG Direct, but that is also because I can get full retail locally because that's the system that I'm operating on where I don't necessarily have to compete with TCG as much because we will have most cards in stock uh, for any customer that comes in, which means they pay a premium to be able to get that card right away. So generally, whenever I'm listing stuff, just like um, what Doug does, it's just overstock where we have too many of one card in stock and we just want to sell it. But at the same time, like I'm, I've acknowledged that I'm taking a step back from magic um, as far as like, quote unquote, working in the magic scene. So, Yeah. Like, I'm not going to sign up to do more magic sales when my goal is to do less magic sales. But, Ed, what do you think about Direct? Because you've worked with people that use Direct, and you've been on top of this for basically since the program started. Uh, so, Alex, thank you for your question. Um, if this is something that you guys have some concerns about, you guys, uh, I'm happy to speak with you over social media to go in more detail about it. Um, the virtues of direct, there are two, there are two virtues that are very, very important to emphasize that should ultimately determine whether or not you are a direct seller. Um, so without knowing any details about your store, which again would more or less, uh, change your decision one way or another, whether it's right for you. Um, the most important thing about direct is it helps the stores that either handle relatively little volume or they handle a lot of volume. Uh, it sounds very counterintuitive, but it's very, very good for the stores that handle a lot of volume because that allows you to be selling hundreds of copies of, um, of comments or uncommons that you may not be able to sell otherwise. Um, actually, I have a direct order that I got recently. <laughs> On my desk here. Um, uh, so anyone who follows me on Twitter, I had posted last week about Modern Horizons cards I purchased. So this is all the same cards. This all came from one seller. This is uh, Munitions Expert. I grabbed it out of the box. Um, this all came from a very small number. I don't think it was one seller. It was two or three sellers. Um, but because it came from Direct, it allows them to sell us one slightly sell a slightly higher price and two it allows for people like me who want to be purchasing cards in volume to make that process easier um if you're a small seller and you're listing two copies of munitions expert at, at a time as you get them in it's certainly not worth it for you to direct because between the cost of the card which presumably you pay nothing but you had to pay labor in order to pick the card list a card uh grade the card, list the card, and then eventually pack the order, you're basically losing money. Whereas the larger stores, for example, Backlabs with Kerwins, um, we actually used a, uh, a scale to measure card, uh, to weigh cards, and we would calibrate in such a way that we know the weight of one card, we know the weight of five cards, and then we could just put a stack on there and it would be 300 some odd cards. Um, 
it basically took the same amount of time as listing one or two cards, but it was way more profitable to be selling those 300 cards basically in one go. Um, the reason it's beneficial for smaller sellers is because if you're light on labor, if you have a small operation, maybe you're working with just yourself, one other employee, and you guys have to balance shipping orders, keeping the store open, uh, stocking, ordering, etc. By only having to ship three times a week, it allows you to have roughly the same sales volume, but you're not spending uh, you're not spending time to pack orders five times a week. You're only sending out your RIs Monday, Wednesday, Friday, um, and this is this also ties in somewhat indirectly with the recent policy that TCG Player had implemented, where cards. That uh, if your purchase order if your purchase order is now below five dollars four ninety nine, TCG will automatically charge you seventy eight cents on top of that. Um, the TCG Direct uh, program it allows a lot of sellers to charge a high amount for their shipping. So you see a lot of TCG Direct sellers uh, either they do free shipping over twenty five dollars or they do a very very high shipping cost individually. So it would be a lot of these sellers charge two ninety nine three ninety nine for a card with the expectation that you're not buying one card from them, you're spending enough money, you're basically hitting the $25 threshold where shipping is worth it. Um, and as a result, these sellers, this ties back into having, uh, being a low light on labor, where instead of having to ship out cards individually and having to go to a post office with a stack of envelopes, a stack of bubble mailers, you're basically sending a few long boxes to TCG player three times a week. Um, so, that's basically my take on direct. That's you basically want to be at that point where if you don't fit into either of those categories, TCG direct probably isn't for you, which I imagine is where you're at. Um, it sounds to me like it makes sense that you're making the same, same amount of money. If you're, if you're able to have labor to process this, the sales and be able to ship out five times a week on a regular basis, that makes perfect sense to be off direct. It doesn't, you don't have to go through as much inventory which may be a problem for stores that they are they may not be in a highly populated area where they have a bunch of people coming in um, to sell them cards so they're able to constantly be listing cards to sell cards, list cards to sell cards, etc. Um, yeah, I would also note that like specifically for me because I juggle more than one shop, like I need to have inventory for multiple shops. So there's nothing to be gained necessarily by like getting paid for a card and then a customer comes in and we don't have that card and then they don't come back if this happens like two to three times. Like it becomes a, a problem for shops that um, either their buy prices aren't high enough, their inventory locally is not high enough or their prices aren't competitive where like customers will basically for the right reasons, the wrong reasons, just stop showing up at that shop. Um, so you need to have like a place out of everything in stock or be able to get anything in stock for those customers. Or you could potentially lose like hundreds or thousands of dollars down the line in revenue. And then the other thing I would argue, there are a lot of MTG finance people. We are not getting into personal finances of anyone. Um, there are a lot of MTG finance people I know that live like paycheck to paycheck where they have a very low amount of money in the bank, but they have a ton of cards. Um, that can be very precarious, which means you are essentially forced to sell cards online in order to like pay off your credit card debt, pay your bills, you know, put food on the table versus more established people can afford to wait a little longer 
to get paid for their cards. But there, there's a lot of people I know that are like between full-time shops and binder grinders, or they're like three years into a shop where they just don't have the financial strength to be able to hold on to cards for more than like a month. And you see that at Grand Prix a lot, or someone who like sells on TCG, like books a flight last minute to sell like thousands of dollars of cards because they need to pay their bills on time. Um, that's definitely something I've seen a lot of over the years. So that's like another thing where managing your money means you can get more profits in the long run. So, um, but I definitely take advantage of TCG direct. I'm probably blocked from a lot of shops. Cause if I see like a rare, that's 10 cents and they have 200 of them in stock, I'm buying all of them. So, and, and I did the same thing with modern horizons. So that is how we feel about TCG direct. Anything you want to add to that, Ed? Um, again, Alex's was given kind of in the context without knowing where your shop is at, uh, if this is something you actually want to discuss with me a little bit more about, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or, uh, or Facebook or something. I'll be happy to kind of answer questions and clear up any confusions or, you know, give you, give you strategies that might work out in your favor. If that's something you're interested in. For the low, low price of nine ninety nine a month, you too can no. Ed should start a, uh, whatever that service is. Consulting business. Yeah. That one. The one that already do? Yeah. Is that a thing? I mean, I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about magic or you want to talk about not magic? Uh, either is fine. I think we can touch a bit on M20. I think. Yeah. Uh, That's I, where I was going to go with this. Yeah. Um, so apparently there's going to be a promo Leyland of the Void that was leaked on TCG where it's going to be in a guild kit as well as Assassin's Trophy. Um, if you pull up either of those cards on TCG, there is a listing for like a M20 promotional kit thingy that hasn't been released yet. Um, personally, if Leyline gets reprinted in a supplemental product, that means it gets cheaper, which means you and I can buy more copies, which means we're rewarded in the long term. Like I'd rather buy 200 copies of Leyline at $2 than 133 copies at $3. So it's just something to keep in mind. Uh, I, I'll just kind of jump into some of the cards I thought was interesting. Oh, are we going over the set? Okay, fine. Very, very briefly, very briefly, uh, since we basically haven't talked about it at all. Um, I think the a lot of the um, legendary creatures at the Mythic slot are type, the type of cards that will just always do well. None of them are competitive playable, or they're, some of them are kind of skirting the edge. And I have to kind of think about a bit more about which ones would be good enough um but we've already seen some prices spike as a result of them the uh the prevalence of elementals in the set has already made some elemental related cards uh mostly primal beyond spike in the past uh week or two um but i think the three color uh legendary creatures kylar uh kethis yarok i don't remember the name of all of them um most of those are certainly um EDH playable in some capacity. They may not necessarily be busted, but the combination of them having reasonable abilities. I think Yarok is the most obvious one. Uh, with uh, it's basically a creature with Panharmonicon attached to it. Um, that one is certainly the type that will probably draw a lot of players. Um, 
since commander players love that kind of big splashy effect. Uh, we've already seen the trajectory of Panharmonicon go from low twos while it's in standard two to three dollars, and now it's basically like buy listing at five to six dollars and selling for close to ten. Um, so that's that's the type of card. Uh, it, I should also mention that in conjunction with the um, the color, the colors on it, you don't have a lot of uh, shard generals. Shard? No. What, what wedge generals that uh, are two allies, one enemy? You don't see a lot of those commanders, so I imagine a lot of these will be in reasonable demand as people want to experiment with new commanders. Uh, most of them aren't super expensive right now, and I don't think most of them are pushed in such a way that would they would be heavily playable and standard. But I generally like core sets in such a way because the mythics are fairly rare in comparison to uh, in comparison to a normal set. For example, like if we compare it to War of the Spark or uh, Ravnica Legions, for example, because it because of the timing of it, because it's released as a summer set, we just don't see May copies enter the market. Um, I'm sure we'll reflect on this in a year if you know Jeremy's still alive and wants a podcast with us um well I, I imagine we'll have this same conversation again and it'll seem like a no-brainer that you could have purchased you know the yarok for seven dollars or whatever it's at and it will certainly go down there'll probably be a time this year where you can buy it for as little as four or five dollars um but if we reflect on um 2019 from last year a lot of them a lot of the cards have done well we haven't seen uh a johnny go down appreciably nickel bolus has actually gone up in price at one point in time uh Crucible of Worlds is, has certainly rebounded in a very strong way, basically back to its pre-printing uh, price. It's a little bit lower than that, but it's uh, done very well. Um, Scape Shift has certainly started to creep back up. A lot of the Planeswalkers um, have stayed relatively stable in price. Uh, we did see Vivian Reed explode as um, due to her seeing a substantial amount of standard play. But... Uh, I, I do like core core 2020 is that I wouldn't say go out and buy anything right now. I do think a lot of the cards are underpriced. Uh, pre-orders are actually much lower than they were in uh, previous years and for other sets. So it's possible if you want something, it's not the worst idea to buy it right now, but I don't see these prices staying this low for very long. I agree simply due to the fact that like, most of the time you do pre-orders to make money on boxes. And then after the first couple of weeks when there's more supply, like you're not really making a ton of money cracking boxes. Um, so something's got to give if there's cards that they're pushing for standard and based on the set, the power level is so high that they're definitely trying to sell packs of core 2020. So it's like, it's not journey to Nick's or born of the gods where like Corsair of Crufix was added and that was pretty much it. And then the rest of the set sucked. If you remember during standard, those boxes had extremely low EV, basically compared to anything else in standard. So, yep. Got nothing to add there. I think they're definitely pushing cards to be able to sell booster packs. Um, and I still think it's a good time to pick up all the walkers from War of the Spark. Like, prices are still super low on most of this stuff. Um, I've been eyeing Foil Ashiok because it's making waves in EDH because it exiles each player's graveyard, each opponent's graveyard. Um, and it's starting to see a ton of play in Legacy as well. So that's just what I'm keeping my eye on. Um, but yeah, I got nothing else to add about M20.
No, I think we have a bit of time. I think the focus is, um, it, it, it certainly pulled in multiple directions um, due to kind of the timing of everything. Uh, last year, everyone was focused on Battle Bond when Core 20 came out because similarly, there wasn't a lot of turnaround time either. I imagine a lot of people are either kind of so there's some distraction with modern horizons people probably are still picking up cards that they still need um and then we have a bit of a lull in competitive magic uh we'll probably be looking at uh barcelona as the next major event um and that will probably kind of change the shape of modern yep that's a lot of finance topics ed how's life uh, it's nice to be back in Portland. Like I said, the weather's a little meh, but it's nice to not have to be packing my bags and worrying about my next trip. Uh, are you traveling a lot the second half of the year? Are you doing the, cause like you had posted that like you were on the road for like three or four months straight or something. Are you doing that again in the second half of the year? Uh, yeah, for Denver, I probably have, I'm probably on the road for like two straight months. Um, there's and how do you deal with that? What? Uh, How do you deal with that? Uh, wow, we're making this very personal. Um, I think the biggest part of it, a lot of people say, you know, I couldn't travel that much, but uh, people have a lot. People have a lot more things going on in their life than I do. Um, Can I do confirm. All, I do this all the time, so it's kind of hard to draw the line between what I do in my free time and what I do when I work. Um, I find ways to make time for myself elsewhere. Like, oddly enough, I actually enjoy flying. It's the time where I can actually sit there and do nothing. I don't have to talk to anyone. No one talks to me. My phone is off. I basically either sit there and work, read. Occasionally, I'll watch a movie, but that's not really a good use of time or sleep. Um, and that's really the time I have to myself because otherwise, I'm... Um, I'm basically at an event otherwise, so... So if you're sitting next to Ed on a plane, take your shoes and socks off and put them on the bulkhead next to him. He really appreciates that. I actively try and not sit at the bulkhead for that very reason because I don't like really? people's feet. Yes. Oh. Huh. I, I very I try very, very hard not to sit in the first row or the row like directly behind first class. Well, yeah, you sit in first class. Those free upgrade, up, upgrades. I mean, not always pay for first class all the time, Jeremy. So sometimes we have this misfortune of not clearing for first class. Oh, yeah. Um, honestly, I think like if you're doing full-time MGG finance, the best part and the worst part is you never know what the next day is going to bring. So you could get a call that leads to like an insane collection buy, or you could do literally nothing and have your time wasted by like a customer that never shows up or like something like that. Or like they want like TCG mint for their cards. Ed does a little bit less of that because he's at Grand Prix most of the time, which means that like people are okay giving up some amount of equity to sell to him for cash. But for the average binder grinder dude that spends their time driving around like their city trying to like make a living on ten dollar deals, yeah, that stuff sucks. I would definitely not want to be in that position, you know. Star City and Channel Fireball essentially ban trading on the floor for a profit, where a lot of these vendors like got their start. So you can't do that anymore. 
yeah, without without going too much into that, I it, uh, magic has certainly changed uh, since we've been doing this. I know you and I have been doing this for quite some time. Uh, for people who are just, you think I'm a professional? I'm gonna add that to my resume. I mean, all I, all I said is we've been doing this for quite some time. There's a big difference between being in a game for long and being good at the game. Too late. So, um, like, uh, it's changed quite a bit now. The information, there's just a lot more information. There's a lot more people who are actively talking about uh, MTG Finance are out there. Um, and it's, similarly, Magic has pretty much changed quite a bit as well now that everyone is trying to get the same piece of pie that was previously uh, not shared by as many. Yeah. Do you think that with um, Mythic Market and all that, we're going to see more mainstream investors? Or do you think that's like not a good idea with the bubble we saw from crypto last year? Um, I think we touched on Mythic Market a little bit. Right. I don't, I don't really don't want to go much more into it. Um, I think anyone who has real money um, that can afford these types of investments uh, would look elsewhere or they would just outright buy themselves. I think yeah. most people who actually thought Magic was a good investment and had the kind of money to throw around probably could just afford to drop $125,000 on that Lotus outright or they'd be able to find it um, from someone who was looking to outright sell it. Um, or they would just look and turn towards other investments, things like fine art, wine, real estate, et cetera, things that actually have appreciable gains as opposed to somewhat speculative gains. Yeah, wine is a grape investment. Uh, I'll be Jim and pretend like I'm upset at you <laughs> for a terrible pun. I, it's definitely interesting. You meet some people in this industry. Um, one of my favorite, like, I don't know if Ed has an anecdote, because he's always tired at Grand Prix because you fly too much. But one of my favorite anecdotes of like the people I meet is uh, Benjamin Huang Huang from Grey Ogre, who Ed obviously knows. The guy speaks like seven languages fluently or whatever. And at Vegas, like he was switching between um, Japanese, Chinese, and I've, I don't even remember the other language, but he was talking to three customers and he was just like seamlessly transitioning into talking of each of them. And then like talk to me in English as well. After all that, like it's amazing what some of these people do to get a competitive edge. I don't know if he's like a polygot, which like means he can learn languages very easily. Um, obviously there's more to it than that, but like that is a very good set of skills to have in an international market. I, uh, without going into much details about Ben, like I know Ben is generally very well off, but I would I would say that most people who are able to speak seven languages fluently probably don't need to be worrying about doing magic. They can probably go work for the UN or something. Right. I wasn't going to say anything about that. So I, I was just saying that I admire his set of skills that he brought to this industry. It's certainly an appreciable amount of skills. I don't know many vendors that are uh, multilingual. What's your favorite? story on the road at at a gp oh wow we are really trying to kill some time here yep. um honestly i lose uh I, I don't really have any ones that are like truly insane anymore uh every grand prix is pretty much the same i've basically been to all these places before um i don't really know what's truly outstanding for an event now it's 
you know, nothing, nothing that I buy or sell surprised me anymore. It's always, it, everything has more or less been a, uh, been there, done that type thing. Um, so getting too big for your britches, Ed. I, I still enjoy the travel. Uh, I actually look forward to going to Barcelona, uh, at the end of the month. I actually haven't been to Barcelona before. I should Beautiful have, city. that's what I've heard. And I enjoyed the, I enjoy the fact that I will have a day uh, before and after the event to spend some time. Are you staying in an Airbnb? Uh, I'm probably staying at a hotel that's close to the event. So okay. there's like districts in Barcelona and like Lisbon, like most of the Iberian Peninsula, where it's just all very all Airbnb and all like there's no locals left. It's just entire neighborhoods of Airbnb, which is not great if you're a local, but pretty fun if you're traveling. <laughs> Like, yeah, if I was a local and there's like drunk tourists at like three in the morning every day because each time like they're like, oh, we're in Barcelona, let's party. That would probably drive me insane. So I don't know. I'm looking forward to going to Japan next week. I think that's like I I hate like most of anime stuff, I'm like very anti-weeb, but the food and the hiking is unmatched. Enjoy the weather there. It will be uh, quite warm. Yeah. Well, then I'm going to Europe. I'm not going to be in. Um, I'm not going to be in Barcelona, but I'll be in Europe. So I don't know when we're recording. Um, I think from July 11th to the 19th, I'm in Europe. So we'll figure it out. All I'm right. on a boat this weekend. So right. we'll probably have to do some amount of uh, juggling. So yeah. we'll we'll get that sorted out, and we will have our schedule. Uh, online as soon as we know which may not be until like three minutes before we record yes miraculously we've managed to record on mondays for years which is odd considering how different all of our schedules are jim works an eight to five ed, ed works at 25 7 and i just sometimes work so yep it can be interesting anything else you want to talk about sounds like it's time for pick of the week Okay, well, you're first. Um, so this one ties uh, a little bit into Prismatic Vista. Um, it's actually five. It's a cycle. Uh, I think the Battle for Zendikar ally lands are underpriced right now. We've already seen a lot of them make appreciable gains from being basically bulk when they rotated out uh, two years ago. And now um, Cinderglade is obviously the most playable one that sees play in uh, Through the Breach in Modern. Uh, it's in her mound. It's a green source. Um, the reason I think this works well with Prismatic Vista is because we can go back to the era when you would go fetch for basic, fetch for basic, uh, put a battle land in a play tapped. Um, it's possible that this opens up a new avenue for a four color ish deck in modern or being able to stretch your man base a little bit more than what modern has to offer. Uh, it's close enough that you can almost make a. Uh, relatively seamless transition into a three-color deck without having to take uh, pain from your um, shock lands. I think there will still be some balance because there's a lot of value to having two colors of mana uh, in play on turn one. But you can still fetch for these and, and put them into play on turn one. You just don't have the option to search for Overgrown Tomb and Thoughtseize your opponent, for example. Um, that being said, I think these are relatively undercosted where they're at. It wouldn't surprise me if these continue to go up in the future. Um, especially the uh, 
the expeditions, a lot of them were very, very cheap for quite a long time. And if this does kind of pick up, it wouldn't surprise me if uh, we see these at least double from where they are now, which is not a very high bar because the, some of the least played ones are like $1.50. And I don't, I think it's relatively easy to pick up a set and kind of forget about it. Yep, I agree. My pick of the week is Teza Karlov from whatever new Ravnica set because there's six of them now or whatever. Ravnica Allegiance. Yeah, sure. Um, the foil continues to trend up. The non-foil copy is what I'm looking at. I think, like Ed said, this is sort of a Panharmonicon thing. It's not as ubiquitous, but it's definitely popular in casual formats. I think this is at least 3 to $4 like a year out of rotation for sure. The foil has a 10 times multiplier than non-foil right now, and the pre-release foil has like a 15 times multiplier than non-foil. Um, I expect this price to correct once it rotates out, but I definitely recommend trading for them right now because they're just so cheap. So, yeah. Just something to keep in mind. That is definitely a solid pick. Yep. You know what else is a solid pick, Ed? Following us on social media. So where can people find you? Uh, I'm Edwin. You guys can find me on Twitter at Edwin13. Uh, no event for me this weekend, but I will basically pick up my long stretch with Detroit next week and Denver the week after. I also want to give a brief shout out to all the people that came by the booth to say hello and chat with me in Dallas. Uh, there are too many of you and not everyone introduced themselves, but I, uh, I do appreciate everyone coming up and uh and expressing their uh their following or their uh viewership of the podcast it, it that part is the thing that i don't get tired of at events uh it's always nice to put a, uh, a face uh to people who tweet about it or follow us or ask questions or whatever so shout out to you guys and if you spend money at his booth it's even better so don't forget to do that I like I like that it's somehow my booth. I am a lowly consultant. I just stand there and talk to people. I don't actually. It's, booth. It, it's not my booth. He has a crown that sits behind the booth that he doesn't wear because heavy is the head. Uh, right. But, well, uh, right. Yeah. I'm yeah. Jeremy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Missouri MTG. I am on vacation from Friday through July 24th. So don't expect a lot of finance-related stuff for a while. Um, you can find this podcast from me, to clarify. Um, you can find this podcast on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, not Spotify. We're not approved yet. Um, our sponsor is CoolStuffInc.com. You can find Jim at P-H-R-O-S-T underscore and thanks for listening to this cast. I hope you guys appreciated a little bit of, I don't know, personal talk, which Ed doesn't seem to like. Besides the normal business talk, we'll get the three of us on the cast at some point next week on three different continents, most likely. Thanks for listening, guys. We appreciate everything. Leave a question for a free $25 gift card, please. And as always, bye-bye.